Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, see that you are, see that you, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Friends, this is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the reality of your grace and mercy in Christ. Give us your Holy Spirit now to understand your very word. Would we be molded, formed, corrected, reproved, trained in righteousness as a result of coming into contact with your scriptures? We pray, O Lord, coming into contact with your Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you died and rose again from the grave as we look forward from Palm Sunday, still in Jerusalem to Golgotha, the place of the skull, where Jesus, you died and rose again, to greet us with grace, now and always. Be with us now, Lord, we pray, Jesus, in your name and for your sake, amen. It was last week, seven days ago, actually last afternoon, I got in the van and dropped off my oldest son, Josiah, back to New Hampshire in college, and I cry every time, so far, when, when I dropped Josiah off, off to school. Actually, the first time when we dropped Josiah off to begin the school year last August. 
I was bawling like a little baby, and I was just standing there in the middle of the college green crying, and there was an upperclassman student. I had no idea who he was. He walked past me, and he said, today is a hard day for parents. And I said, thanks, buddy. It really is hard. So dropped him off again after spring break and cried, had a good cry, said goodbye. But when I do that so far, and I assume it'll continue, all of these memories flood over me where this young man that I'm dropping off to school feels in so many ways like he was born last week. What, what happened? And so many memories in between. And as I think about my own kids, and I should mention, I preached a version of this sermon in 2016, also during Easter season, so I wanted to let you know it's a rewritten version. If you hear echoes, not just you. There are two main buckets of memories for me and my kids. One is the big events bucket, and those are the big events. Those are the birthdays, the Halloween costumes, the Thanksgiving, the, the Christmas, when you do a lot of preparation and planning and invitations and lots of crowds and you have pictures and you have videos, all of those things are great. But then there's this whole other bucket, not the big events, but the smaller moments that are even more precious to me in some ways. For every one of my four kids, they went through a phase, maybe pre-K, kindergarten, early, or early elementary school, when we do things like play kids' games and especially kids' cards, card games together. And I would love when a kid, a child of mine, would receive a card that he or she really, really was hoping to get, and you see the facial expression, the eyes light up, but then trying to keep, trying to keep it together. And then the, 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 the cackles and the crowing from all of the kids when they pull one over on dad and win a game and they're so, so happy. Or another smaller moment sort of thing. All my kids went through this phase as well. Dad, can we draw? And so when we were living in Texas with my boys, when we were living here in Collingswood with my girls, the dining room table would be covered with colored pens and pencils and pens and markers and coloring books and blank sheets of paper, and we just color and draw. And in moments such as that, there's very little talking. Could be 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, when the only words spoken are, could you pass the yellow? Or are you finished with the red yet? But in those smaller, precious moments, tried to remember and press record in my brain with as many of them as possible a perfect intimacy and maybe for you you have your own back catalog of smaller moments with friends with loved ones with family where there's peace and there's calm and there's fullness and there's stillness everything feels perfect and intimate. And one of the things I love in particular about John, one of the four narrative accounts of Jesus' life, the Gospels, how the Gospel of John pairs this triumphal entry with this scene at Bethany right beforehand. And you get both buckets in this text. You have the big event of Palm Sunday with the crowds and the pomp and the palms and the circumstance. But then before that, you have one of the smaller moments 
that to me is precious. A meal with friends. Verses 1 and 2. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha, one of Lazarus' sisters, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, another sibling, therefore. And this verse 3 is one of the most beautiful verses to me in all of John, all of the Gospels, maybe more broadly. What a beautiful moment that's painted here. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, the good stuff, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Evocatively, the house was filled with the fragrance Perfect intimacy. Perfect intimacy. Adoration of Jesus, a soul secure with her Savior. And even if you're here this morning or watching online as someone who's skeptical of spiritual realities or still sorting these things out, I bet you would yet agree this is beautiful. This is beautiful. And by that same measure, this scene, this image, this perfectly intimate moment is an invitation for us to share. As we journey through these verses this morning for a few minutes, we are going to see many different types of responses to Jesus from many different people and groups of people, but we'll circle back to Mary. Adoration. There are some negative responses where if we fall into this category, we might miss Jesus. But if we find ourselves with Mary and catch a whiff of the fragrance in the room, we can be filled. So two parts from here for the rest of the sermon. Let's talk about first some negative responses to Jesus and then some positive responses to Jesus. Negative responses, there's opposition and manipulation of Jesus. And then the positive response, Mary, is adoration. So the negative responses first. The heat is being turned up on Jesus. He is going to die in a few days. In fact, we read right before the beginning of chapter 12 that the grip of power is tightening around Jesus already. Now, the Passover of Jews was at hand, and many went up from there to the from the country to Jerusalem before Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. The Jewish leaders of the time really, 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 really don't like Jesus. They hate him. So much so that we saw in this story, they're going after Lazarus as well. Verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So it's even Lazarus who, in the opinion of the Jewish leaders, received the unfortunate blessing of being raised from the dead. We've got to off this guy too. And then at the end of the story, they're scoffing. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Something to ponder during this Easter week. Jesus, I think probably is the most loved around the world and throughout the ages historical figure in the history of the world. Probably. 
But then also, arguably, Jesus might likewise be one of the most hated, reviled figures in the history of the world, this Jesus. And if you feel opposition in your own heart to Jesus of Nazareth, understand and hear that Jesus of Nazareth is not here to pick a fight with you and that you can let him in. So there's some opposition, but then also there is some more subtle negative responses here. Call it manipulation. Both Judas and then the crowds. Judas and the crowds in different ways are seeking to turn Jesus, twist Jesus to their own ends, which we can do as well. We are, I think, as a culture, as a species, master manipulators, aren't we? In the 1950s, the French philosopher and theologian Jacques Ellul published a book called The Technological Society and said increasingly in modern times, we are people in the late modern West with all this technology. We have mastered efficient techniques so that we can do anything and turn all things toward ourselves. That's just how it is to be a modern person. And we do so with Jesus, including with Judas here, Seems like everything's on the up and up, right? Nothing to see here, verses 4 and 5. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who is about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? There's an argument to be made there, right? That, hey, this is not a great use of resources. He is the treasurer of this operation. It's the treasurer's job to ask questions like this. But Judas, so close to Jesus, yet so far. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas about himself, in the presence of Jesus, making himself feel and seem better, self-aggrandizing, puffing up, but dark inside. There's a contemporary English author named Adam Thurwell who wrote this about his characters. I think it's spot on for a lot of us a lot of the time. Nicety becomes the excuse for cruelty and violence, a process located at the heart of the social order. Our insistence on always appearing fair, kind, and unprejudiced turns out to be mere camouflage, just as our quick-witted, relentlessly ingratiating inner monologues serve to conceal our monstrous egotism. So we are a lot of the time. We want to seem really, really nice, fair, unprejudiced, giving, but on the inside, it's camouflage, out and selfishness in. And so for you, what are your angles? How do you turn things around for yourself, either before other people or God? All the white lies, all the cutting of corners. I heard a pastor say once, if you're late for a meeting because you're late for a meeting, why do you instinctively say traffic? Sorry. There is more traffic than I anticipated. That, 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 that's why I'm late. Instead, I just didn't want to get out of my subreddit hole in time. And that's why I'm late instead. But even the, when we blame traffic when there's not traffic, that's an angle. That's a cutting a corner. That's a making ourselves seem a little bit better than the people around us. What are yours? Or even in church spaces. Have you ever felt the pressure or the temptation to appear more godly, pious than you actually are? The gospel frees us from that, but it's also a temptation. It's easy to cut those angles, but it's lazy. And also Judas is greedy. Good old-fashioned greed. Maybe that's you. 
if there's a lot of greed that you're feeling and registering inside of yourself, whether it's money or time or relationships or whatever it is, that is an intimacy blocker because you're too busy taking. But Jesus has something better for us. So we manipulate in ways like Judas, but then also the crowds. And the crowds here in this story admit they're along with Judas than Judas is, but at the same time, they're not completely there. They have plenty of excitement when Jesus comes to town, verses 12 and 13. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So they're super excited, but there's also some clues here that they're not completely yet there with Jesus. For example, quoting from the Psalms, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In the original Psalm, even the king of Israel isn't part of it. So our king is coming. Now, is Jesus king? Yes, but why might that insertion be made there? And the Palms, more than anything, they're signs of military victory. And so as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, we can imagine that at least some people in the crowd in these moments are thinking, with Jesus, we are going to win. We're going to win. Jesus is our political Messiah, our Savior from the oppressor, and this Jesus is going to do exactly what we want him to do in relationship to Rome. But Jesus, even in this story, subverts those expectations. He comes not on a war chariot, but on a donkey. And then John, the writer of the gospel, puts this gloss by quoting from the Old Testament prophet, the Hebrew scriptures of Zechariah. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Here's a Zechariah quote. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus is a different kind of king. A different kind of king. And it's for the crowds, and it's for us to learn more about who Jesus really is, to truly let Jesus be Jesus. I heard another preacher say once, are we in the habit simply of treating God or Jesus as the giant vending machine in the sky? Have you heard that analogy before? Where God's just up there, and God's job is to give me everything that I want, especially when I'm unhappy and in trouble. So, God, I need this. God, I need this. God, I need this. God, I need this. Try to fumble the dollar in. God, I need this. God, I need this. God, I need this. But think about it this way. If you're in a relationship, whether it's with God or with other people, and you are all ask, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. Unless you're a little kid doing that to a parent, as you should, that's age appropriate. But adult to adult, if you're all ask in that relationship, spoiler warning, it's not really a relationship. There's no back and forth. There's no give and take. But we're also prone to do that with Jesus, which is a relationship blocker and a manipulation towards him. Simply instead, treat Jesus like a person. What do you do with a person you love? You show up. You be present. You spend time. You seek intimacy in those smaller moments. What we see instead with these crowds, it is so easy with Jesus to lose the thread. How about us? But then we see the positive response here of Mary, the adoration once again. 
the perfect intimacy of this smaller moment. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the, with the fragrance of the perfume. What's going on with Mary in these moments? She's not about herself. She's not about appearing one way or another to other people. She's not about wanting something to gain. And you might even say, by using this huge amount of expensive perfume, it's really not doing anything. If you're a child of the 80s, I think of Lloyd Dobler in this connection. So I forget the exact year that the movie Say Anything came out, the romantic comedy with John Cusack. It won an Oscar that year for Best Picture. This is what he said. So Lloyd, John Cusack, is in, he's got the fever for a girl, as Bruce Springsteen's The Fever goes. And he's meeting the parents for the first time, and the dad asks Lloyd, so what do you want to do with your life? What kind of job do you want? And he says, I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything as a career. I don't want to sell anything bought or processed, or buy anything sold or processed, or process anything sold, bought, or processed, or repair anything sold, bought, or processed. And then he goes on to say, you know, as a career, I don't want that. And then later on in that same conversation, I want as my main job to be with your daughter. I'm really good at that job. And to me, that captures something deep in a comedic way about the love of being with a person that you love. So Mary... And her action with the perfume towards Jesus, it's not doing anything, but it is an act of love. Extravagant, free love. And what do you think Mary may have been feeling in those moments? Things like fullness, stillness, peace, calm, contentment, soul secure with her Savior. And I bet you could also say about Mary in these moments, I bet if you would have asked her, do you need anything right now? She would have said, I don't need a thing. I have no need. Mary, perfectly perhaps self-forgetful in these moments. And so I don't think it's a stretch to say here in verse 3, Mary, adoration towards Jesus, this is a taste of heaven. It's nothing less than a taste of heaven on earth. Because in heaven, as we believe in Jesus, and Jesus comes again to consummate the kingdom of God that he has begun as it has erupted into the old order through his crucifixion and resurrection, what will it feel like? Probably something like joy. Both extravagant, best rock concert you've ever been to, raucous joy, and then also perfect calm and stillness. And for all eternity, brother and sister in Christ, you, in a deeply self-forgetful way, will be able to say, if anybody asks you, I don't need a thing. I am good right now. And the same spirit that we trust was working in Mary is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is the same spirit that Jesus shares with all that come to him by faith through his crucifixion and resurrection, and if you believe in Jesus, that means you have the Holy Spirit in your life, and you also have already received that foretaste of heaven 
because it's the spirit of heaven to come, of Jesus crucified and resurrected that you already have. And that means that you can cultivate the type of perfect presence and intimacy with Jesus. You can cultivate all of that, just like Mary now. And I would encourage you to do just that. In the plainest terms possible, I would want to say to you that pursuit of Jesus is worth it. There is nothing more eminently worth your time, your energy, your passion, your power, your heart and soul and mind and strength than pursuing Jesus and being with him. In this Lenten season, like Yvonne was talking about earlier, have you put off some things in order to focus, to remove obstacles, to remove distractions? I've been telling everybody that I've, I've become a proselytizer for a piece of technology, which feels very, very weird to me. I bought one of these e-ink tablets. It's called a SuperNote. Would love to have a conversation with you about it. And every conversation I have, let them know so I get like a 5% off my next purchase or something. But there's this whole like subgenre group of not pixelated iPad tablets and devices, but natural e-ink that you can write with. And the whole point of them is there are way too many distractions in your life. And we're going to make on purpose a dumb tablet that lets you do much, much less so that you can focus more. What spiritual life hacks are you, could you, or should you make so that you can get rid of those distractions and really go deeper with Jesus? Are there patterns of disobedience in your life right now that are serving as intimacy blockers? Would you pray about those things? Would you consider those things? Would you ask for help about those things? Would you ask for accountability? Ask other people, hey, laying my cards on the table, what do you think about this? How can I grow to trust Jesus enough with all of you? But understand what you receive. In Jesus, we receive Jesus, all of him the whole Christ. It's in the Gospel of John that we have these famous I am statements of Jesus, right? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd of the sheep. As he raised Lazarus from the dead in the previous chapter, I am the resurrection of the life. As he'll say soon enough, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. All of this Jesus is for you, and it's shared with you by grace and grace alone. Because the arc of the story in the Gospel of John and all the other accounts carries forward from cult to cross. And the humility that we see in Jesus riding humbly into Jerusalem on a donkey is horrifically fulfilled in the cross of Jesus Christ, where he died and rose again to pay the penalty for our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin, that includes opposing and manipulating Jesus and everything else, all of our mess, all of our junk, all of our backstory, all of our present, all of our future story. Will you pursue this Jesus? And will you witness to the same? The crowd doesn't get it all right, but they are witnessing to Jesus in the midst of still putting the pieces together, which is good news for you and me as we're still putting the pieces together. You can talk up Jesus in the meantime. 
do that in advance of Easter. Hey, we're doing Good Friday and Easter at my church. Do you want to come along? Verses 17 and 18. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So we have people that are doing some living, speaking, and serving about Jesus so that they might be in his presence. Would we do the same? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.